0: Amazing Grace Kona welcome you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. It says here, Devote yourselves to prayer and keep alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. This topic keeps reoccurring in Paul's writings that we have an attitude of thanksgiving. We're not supposed to be the grumpy, complaining Christians that aren't thankful. It's not an appealing attribute. If you run into somebody and and they say they're a Christian and all they do is complain and complain, and not a thankful word ever comes out of their mouth. They're not doing it quite correctly. And if they would read the scripture, they would find out we're supposed to have an attitude of gratitude. This is a given as Christians. We have so much to be grateful for. All our sins are forgiven. What more do you need to start the list? We start our list off with every sin that we ever committed, Jesus paid for on the cross. From there, it's just all small potatoes because we have so much to be grateful for. And Paul actually addresses this in one of his other epistles. He says to remember that joy of your salvation. Remember when you first found out that you were saved, how great you felt? What a great day it was man, my sins are forgiven. This feels great. Remember that. David, he cried out to the Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. There's a great joy when you first get saved. You find out the Lord forgave you and you're just walking on clouds, man. You're just like, oh, my sins are forgiven. I'm starting fresh. This is the best feeling in the world. But then life goes on and sometimes things happen and we get a little bit weighed down, and we get into the grind of life, and we forget that attitude that we're supposed to have. So Paul says, devote yourself. Now, devote is a word here that he uses from the Greek, which means to continuously repeat on a daily basis, that you go back and you do it as a practice, discipline, that you devote yourself to prayer. If you're not going to pray as a Christian, you're not going to really have a really enjoyable Christian experience. Now, do we pray to make God do what we want Him to do? It's like God's a genie. In the Bible, in the bottle, we rub it, and poof, He pops out and says, your wish is my command. And we tell Him what we want, and that's what prayer No, that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is not us telling God what we want. Prayer is going to God and saying, God, here's my life. You know what I need. In like fact, Jesus said, ask this day your daily bread. What do you need? Ask whatever that portion is you need from the Lord. He knows what you need, but he says to ask and keep praying. He didn't just say, just pray once, like I know some Christians. Well, today I'll ask for one year of daily breads. Give me an annual amount of bread and I won't be back to bug you for a year, God. I'll leave you alone. Just make me rich today so I don't have to bother you about daily bread. If we were supposed to do that, wouldn't Jesus have taught us to pray? Give us this day our annual bread or our decade of bread. Just give me 10 years and I won't bother you at all for 10 years do you think that's what the lord wants that we do not come to him every day he wants us back every day that's why he goes one day at a time remember the children of israel when they were in the wilderness and every day of the week the lord put that stuff called manna on the ground and they would go and they would scrape it up and it says it was like fine flour and it was like coriander seed that was ground down with a honey flavor and they said, "This is like the food of angels." The Lord put that on the ground every day, except for one day on the Sabbath, on the day of rest. The day before the Sabbath, they were told, "You get to gather up twice as much this day, and it's going to be there for you tomorrow." But every other day, if they were to gather, say Monday, they gathered up double what would happen to the manna By Tuesday morning, it'd be rotten and have worms and, and would have bugs. It was spoiled. And God made it where it spoiled every single time, except on Friday when they were gathering for the Sabbath, the Shabbat. And that day on Friday, they could gather double and it wouldn't spoil. Now, do you think he was trying to teach them something? That every day I provide what you need every day, day by day. And I even provide the day before, what's called the day of preparation for the Sabbath. I provide double on that day so that you get that next day off. You get to rest. You don't have to go out and work because I already provided the day before. Now, God was setting an example to teach us every day we got to come to him and he'll take care of us. Not come to him and, okay, today I'm going to give you a week's worth of manna and you won't have to go out and gather for the whole week. Now, I know some people, they don't like this. They'd rather God just gives it all right now and I won't have to depend on God for the rest of the week. But that's not really what he teaches. He teaches that we come every day. And this word, what Paul chooses for devotion to prayer, is the idea of coming every day repeatedly to God in prayer with an attitude of gratitude, of thanksgiving to God. I'm back, God. Thank you. Thank you as I come to you in prayer. Now, listen to what Paul, he's going to actually give some things he liked like prayer for because, well, you guys probably know this already, but where was Paul writing this letter from? Read the next verses. Pray at the same time for us as well that God will open up a door for the word so that we might speak forth the mystery for Christ, for which I have also been in prison, that I might make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. You remember we studied the book of Ephesians. He was also locked up then, Philippians. They were called the prison epistles. They were kind of worried about him in Philippi. said, don't worry. It's actually turned out for the good. The whole Praetorian Guard has come to faith because they thought Paul was such a bad guy that they locked him in the inner, inner prison and they put stocks on him and they locked him to a soldier. Eight-hour shifts, the Roman soldiers had to sit locked to Paul. And Paul kept sharing the gospel with all the soldiers that were assigned to be chained to him so he wouldn't run away. And he wasn't running away. He just kept sharing the gospel. Now when he writes to the Church at Colossae, he says, But you guys pray that the right words would be in my mouth so when I speak about this mystery of Christ, people get it. Because sometimes when you're sharing the gospel, it takes different analogies to help people understand. They might not get it. Why do I need to be saved um well if uh you're in sin it's kind of like you're in a sea and you're drowning and you might not get it because you're just going well i'm just swimming you don't see that the waves are getting more dangerous and the sharks are below you and you're not in a good place and you might need someone to come up in a rescue boat real quick and get you out of there and as you're just going oh i'm just backstroking through life i'm all good it's all happy until big wave crashes on you i mean sometimes life hits you really hard Man, it knocks you like for a loop. Think about the fellows that just lost all that they own from these hurricanes. Do you think they were thinking, "Yeah, next week I won't have a thing. My whole house will be swept off the land right into the sea"? Well, how about the people in Texas? You guys see the news where all those floods broke my heart. This guy drove along with his little camera and showed the streets. And it's not on the news. He just put it on Facebook. He showed all of the furniture. That was in the houses from the floods is all sitting out next to the sidewalk to be thrown away now because it's all full of mold and mildew and the streets are just like littered all the way up and down the streets and he just drove around for like 10 minutes and made a video up and down the streets in texas and said i know this doesn't make the news but this is what it's really like in our neighborhood so i just wanted to show you and he's like having to weave in and out of all this garbage there's stuff it's all ruined When it comes to this, Paul's going, just pray for me. I could have the right words because sometimes people don't understand why they need this mystery of a Savior, someone to save them. They don't see any danger. They think life's all good. And when there's a storm spiritually in your life, you really want Jesus to come save you because he's the one that can save you. And Paul's like, I need the words in my mouth so I can make known the mystery of Christ to these people because I'm here locked up in jail. And some of them don't see any reason why they would need a Savior. Their life is good right now. But the Bible says it's harder to get a rich man into the kingdom of heaven than to get a camel through the eye of a needle. Because a rich man says, I don't have need of anything. And you're like, well, you may not have any physical needs, but you still got spiritual needs. And it's very hard for them to comprehend. What? I have a spiritual need? I don't need anything. I've got everything I want. Now, if you talk to someone who's poor, who's experienced what it feels like to have physical needs, and you say, just like you have physical needs, you also have a spiritual need of a savior. They identify right away. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Sign me up. But you tell this to a rich guy, and they're like, I don't know. And it's like there's a blinder. Their wealth has blinded them. And so Paul, he says, listen, you guys, devote yourself to prayer with thanksgiving and while you're at it pray for me pray for me that the words would be in my mouth to make known the mystery of christ to all these people that need it i would have my way clear in the way i speak just i could put it in a way that they could grasp it and what a wonderful thing you think paul the apostle got locked up for preaching the gospel is still praying and asking guys to pray for him that he'd be even better at preaching he basically got locked up for preaching and now he's going could you guys pray that i'd be even better preacher while i'm locked up he doesn't go well i think i'll quit this preaching thing it gets me in trouble but you pray that i just quit doing this so i don't get no he goes would you pray that i do it even better that i am even a better communicator of the mystery of christ what a beautiful prayer and then he says in verse five conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. When you meet somebody from outside the church, he's saying, conduct yourself with wisdom. Don't be foolish about that opportunity. Maybe you are come across somebody in your child. They're not somebody you met at church. And he says, make the most of that opportunity. If we would just look at the encounters that we have with others as opportunities for the gospel. And listen to this. Here's how he says to speak. Verse 6. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. Let it be seasoned with grace as though it was seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to respond to each person. When you run into people that are gracious in the way that they conduct themselves, the way they speak, and, and their mannerisms, it is so refreshing to be around people that are gracious. And I learned this line from Aaron I heard what you meant, not what you said. That's a gracious thing you can say. I heard what you meant, not what you said. That's speech seasoned with grace to do that. That's one example I've learned to do with people. Sometimes people are trying to communicate something to you and they can't get the words out just right. Then they're apologizing because they're fumbling over their words. And you, you know what they meant. So just tell them. And with speech, with grace, like salt on the food just makes it taste a little better don't worry i heard what you meant not what you said it's okay there's a lot of applications of our speech being seasoned with grace instead of being judgmental and condemning we're like you hey, don't worry the lord died for all of our sins i'm just glad he died for all my sins don't worry about it and you can comfort them that's speech with grace beautiful thing now if you're ever around someone who has gracious speech like that. How do you feel when you have them around? They're not judging you. They're not condemning you. They're just like a breath of fresh air. They're just such a joy to be around. You can be yourself, and even if you don't get it all right, they're like, it's okay. It makes us a lot more pleasant to be around. By the way, I believe it will make you have a lot more meaningful relationships in life if you adopt this verse as something you live in your life. Remember when Jesus had that woman that they caught in the very act of adultery and they drug her in in front of Jesus and said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says we should stone her to death. What do you say? Now, what was Jesus' words? Did he speak real condemning of her or criticize her? What did he do? He turned to the crowd and he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then it says he stooped down on the ground and he began to write i don't know what he wrote i surmise that he is probably writing it says beginning with the oldest down to the youngest one at a time they began to excuse themselves and they departed i think he what he did is he started with the oldest guy there rabbi schneerson and he started writing down his sins because jesus said let him who is without sin cast the first stone it doesn't say he did this i'm just saying perhaps he did this and rabbi schneerson's looking over his shoulder going uh my wife's calling i need to go now but he digs out and jesus just erases that guy's sin and he goes to the next guy and he knowing all of their sins he could be putting down what they did and as soon as they catch wind that he knows they're like i gotta go and after all of them leave it's just jesus and the lady Jesus says, wait right here now. I'm without sin. I'll get some rocks and I'll stone you. Right? No, he doesn't do that. He looks at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, there's none but thee. There's only you that can accuse me. They've all left. And what was Jesus' words right then? What did he say? He says, woman, I forgive you. Go your way and sin no more. He doesn't condemn her for her sin. He forgives her sin. That's what speech seasoned with grace in real practical relations with people. Even people who are messed up, caught in very sins. You don't condemn them for it. You say, you know what? Our sins are forgiven. Good thing, huh? Let's go our ways and sin no more. Like, isn't a great God forgave us? It's a great thing. That is how to let your speech be affected by grace. Remember how much Christ forgave you. Because the more you remember how much he forgave you, the more gracious you are towards others when they struggle with their sins. You're like, go your way and sin no more. Don't worry. All our sins are forgiven. doesn't mean to use it as a cloak to sin, but it helps lead us out of sin. When Jesus said that to the woman, he could have stoned her to death. Right then he could say, look, I'm the one without sin. I get to stone you. But he didn't. He said, woman, Neither do I accuse you. Go your way. I'm not condemning you. I came to save you. Go your way. Sin no more. What a beautiful thing grace does in helping us to walk away from the things that hold us down. Paul then ends this letter, and I'm just going to read you the salutation at the end, because what he's doing is he's going to be sending some fellows that are visiting him in jail, and he's going to send them to the churches, To carry this letter. I mean, they didn't have postmen back then. Somebody had to carry this letter to Colossae from prison, where Paul was. So Paul then says, verse 7, "...as to my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, he will bring you information. For I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you might know of our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. Onesimus was from Colossia, apparently. He's one of your guys' own, but he's going to come with him, and they'll inform you about the whole situation here. Now, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends his greetings. Also, Barnabas, Barnabas's cousin, Mark, that's John Mark, the young man that we read about in Acts, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also, Jesus, who is called Justice, and they are fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, they're Jews, and they proved to be an encouragement to me. And Epaphras, one, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, he sends his greetings. So Epaphras must have come from Colossae to visit Paul. And he says, he sends his greetings, and he's always laboring earnestly for you in, in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. What a beautiful prayer. This guy, Epaphras, was praying. He's a bond slave of Jesus. He was praying earnestly for the church at Colossae that they would stand complete, perfect in the Lord and fully assured. Fully assured of what? Of the will of God. How many of you guys would like to know what God's will is for your life? You ever had that thought, I wonder what God wants me to do? I mean, really, what would be His perfect will... If he could just tell me, I'd really like to know what he wants me to do. Anyone ever thought that? Oh, Lord, just show me what you want. This guy is praying for the church. We should do this. We should be praying for everyone in our church that God shows them his perfect will for them. What a beautiful prayer. And that they would stand complete, perfect. The word is whole. He's praying that all would be made whole and know God's will. And Paul says, I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you. And for those in Laodicea and Heropolis and Luke also, the beloved physician. You guys remember Luke in the Bible that wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also sends his greetings as does Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea as also Nympha and her church that is in her house. When this letter is read amongst you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And as for you guys, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. So Paul wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea. He wrote one to Colossae. If you guys get a chance, have them read the letter that I wrote to the Laodicean church to you guys, and then take your letter and send it over to those guys. Because he knew that these words would comfort their hearts. They needed these things. And then he says, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may also fulfill it. Now, I don't know who this fellow is. Some of the things we don't know much about the folks, other than just their names are mentioned, that are doing good. And this guy, he says something really interesting. Verse 17, he's just about done with the letter. Second to the last verse, and he says, Say to this one fellow, to take heed to the ministry which you have received from the Lord that you might fulfill it. Whatever God's ministry is for your life, whatever he called you to do, maybe you have the gift of hospitality and you always help and welcome people and feed them And whatever your ministry is, make sure you do it. Take heed. That means pay attention, okay, that you are faithful to do whatever calling it is that God's called you to. And this is a great way to wrap up this letter really for all of us, we all have different callings from the Lord. God calls us all to different things that He wired us individually perfectly suited for those things. But some people, they go, yeah, well, I know God wants me to go help that person. Or I know He wants me to go visit that widow over there across the street. But I don't know. It's kind of weird. And it's a little awkward. And what what am I going to say? And I'm like, if you feel like you're supposed to do that, I know what Paul would write to you. Make sure... That you pay attention, take heed, that you do your ministry and you fulfill it. Don't be saying, yeah, I know this is my ministry, but I don't do it. That's not fulfilling your ministry. That's ignoring it. And so many Christians, they go, I just don't feel fulfilled. Paul is teaching to this fellow, you have received a gift, a ministry from the Lord. Ministry, by the way, means to be a servant. Minister is a servant. You've been called to serve in some way. Whatever way you're called to serve in, Paul says, I want to tell you, do your service. And you will be fulfilled. Now what if you don't know your calling? Ask. Just say, Lord, what do you call me to do? Because he made you. He knows what will suit you. He knows what your gifts are. He gave them to you. So don't worry. Just ask. And he'll help you to do it. And you'll be really blessed. It's a joy when you use your gifts of ministry to help others. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona
1: Praise the Lord Praise the one who left his kingdom so I could have- To give me strength and power soul and